1: As humanity reels from a worldwide pandemic, an insidious side effect has infected millions of people, the epidemic of fear. Are you showing symptoms? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines the fear of falling ill and turns to Hezekiah for help in treating it. From the series, What Are You Afraid Of? Here's David to introduce today's message, Disease, the Fear of Serious Illness.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you've ever had anyone tell you that you are very ill, you know what happens. I was uh, just going through a regular routine examination, and my doctor, when he had done all he could do to um, check me out, made this statement. He said, Dr. Jeremiah, everything that we have done to test you has come out great, except for one thing— you have a mass in your abdominal cavity that shouldn't be there. All of a sudden, all of the rest of the stuff they told me about how good I was doing, my blood pressure really didn't matter to me, you know, uh, because, and some of you know the story, that was the beginning of my, my journey uh, through lymphoma cancer and ultimately led to a stem cell transplant, which took place well over 20 years ago, and God used that to... Just wipe that cancer out of my system, and I'm so very thankful. But I want to tell you that story because I know if you're afraid because of illness, I've been there. And don't say, oh, yeah, but you didn't have to be afraid. You're a pastor. I'm going to talk about that in this message, so I won't go there now. But fear is something you you can't ignore, but there is something you can do to combat it. And that's what we're going to talk about for these next two days, how to combat the fear of serious illness. We have a book that has um, this material in it. Um, the book is called Hope Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. And um, we would love to send this to you to help you get through the challenges that you're facing. Uh, this particular lesson, Hope Amid Serious Illness, is in this book. And it's, um, well, it's about halfway through the book, you'll find it, Chapter 4. Hope Amid Serious Illness. And when you read the chapter, you'll remember what you heard today, and it will help you put all this truth together. It will stick to your soul. It really will. And it will help you going forward. If you'd like to have a copy of the book, we'd like to send it to you. We ask simply that you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of March. Do the best you can. But whatever size gift you send, please ask for the book. We'll send it to you. It's our way of saying thank you for your investment in what God is doing through Turning Point around the world. All right, um, we've talked a little bit longer than we should have, so let's get started here with our lesson, The Fear of Serious Illness. As I was preparing this message, I had to take time out to get my semi-annual CT scan at the Scripps Clinic in La Jolla. Started in 1994 when I was diagnosed with Non-Hodgkin's Lymphoma at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And then I was sent back here for this local hospital in La Jolla to care for me. On that first day, as I went to the clinic, I met oncologist Dr. Alan Savin. It was Dr. Savin along with Dr. Charles Mason who presided over the stem cell transplant, which ultimately brought me healing from this disease and gave me my life back. I've written about this extensively in a book I authored back then called When Your World Falls Apart. So I won't go into detail here about that, but since I'm preaching this series about fear, I thought I would answer the question that I've been asked hundreds of times. Here it is, Dr. Jeremiah, were you ever afraid during the time you were dealing with cancer? Now the question itself is kind of amusing to me because it seems to indicate that if you're a pastor, you sort of get a free pass on stuff, you know? You know, I actually had people say, well, you're a pastor. How'd you get cancer? Well, the problem I have is a problem that we all have. I suffer from what they call humanity. (laughs) And uh, cancer, along with other diseases, they're all human diseases, aren't they? So just because we're Christians, we don't exit humanity. We get the same human problems and diseases everyone else gets. Well, I want to answer the question, was I ever afraid? And I'll do it in a moment. But first, I want to tell you that you probably will have a difficult time understanding what I'm about to say. It's hard to explain to those who have not experienced cancer what it's like to have that disease associated with your name. In fact, every time I walk back into the Scripps Clinic, the same emotions of fear that I had when I found out I had this disease revisit me. It's the strangest thing. Every time I walk through the door of the Scripps Clinic, I have the same feelings that I had when I was under the cloud of lymphoma. I've been asked how it felt to learn that I had cancer. People say, were you afraid? Absolutely, I was afraid. I was desperately afraid. I mean, I wasn't afraid to die, I'm pretty sure of that. By the way, I wasn't anxious to do it either. I wasn't afraid to die, but I wasn't anxious to die. I thought I should throw that in. But a good bit of my fear, I think, was focused on losing years with my beautiful wife and my children and grandchildren that at that time were still on their way, hadn't come yet. I was afraid of the unknown. I was afraid of pain. In fact, you can get inside my skin, just stop and think, what would you feel right now if somebody told you you had a disease that could take your life? What emotions would you be feeling? I had all the same ones. Missionary Isabel Kuhn wrote a book entitled In the Arena in which she explained how her various adversities and problems had become platforms for the Lord to use as she tried to witness and minister. The final chapter in her book involved the loss of her health and her battle with breast cancer, and here are her words. She said her natural impulse was to panic at every moment, imagining complications. She said if she coughed, she thought she had lung cancer. She said if she had a toothache, she knew it was cancer of the mouth. Every tickle and twinge was instantly interpreted as a grim new enemy. I know about that, and so do many of you. So disease is ever-present with us, and the probability is that you have or will encounter it somewhere along the way. The probable encounters with disease, well, it it started back in the garden. God created Adam and Eve— in a state of perfect health, and their bodies were free from disease. But then they sinned, and the whole order of nature was convulsed, and sickness became a grim reality and death an unavoidable eventuality. And at least a portion of our days on this earth, whether we like it or not, are going to be spent ill or sick or diseased or injured or wounded or dying. The loss of health comes on us either suddenly or slowly, but on us all it descends. And it is the fear of disease entering into our lives that sends a pulse beat of panic through our hearts, a call from the doctor's office, the look on the face of a physician, or a spasm in our chest can be just as chilling as anything we've ever experienced. Whenever we think we've contracted a disease of any kind, we experience a plague of intensely personal and poignant fear. Now, disease is defined as any condition that causes pain, dysfunction, distress, or social problems, or death to the person afflicted. Most diseases affect the personality of us in some way. They can drain us financially. The most expensive disease is dementia. Among the most common are cancer and coronary diseases. And the word disease, do you know what it means? Well, it means exactly what it says. It is dis-ease. It's a condition that reverses the ease of life. Disease brings with it a disruption of life's normal patterns. And this includes suffering and pain. The treatments sometimes of our diseases are as debilitating as the disease itself. Have you noticed? By the way, have you ever heard the commercials for some of the drugs we're selling these days? By the time you listen to all of the things they have to admit could happen to you, you say, okay, thank God, I'll just keep my disease. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Diseases cause you all kinds of discomfort. Needles and tubes and monitors and call buttons and bedpans. And add to that the apprehension of losing our independence or becoming a burden to other people, not to mention the possibility of dying. One thing I discovered when I was sick years ago was that when you go to the hospital these days, you park your dignity outside. When you walk in, you don't take your dignity with you. You lose it. It goes away. While I was going through one of those experiences, someone gave me a little bit of poetry I just have to share with you today. It'll illustrate what I'm talking about. It goes like this. I was sitting here minding my business, kind of letting my mind go slack when a nurse came in with a bright, sunny smile and a gown with a split down the back. Take a shower, she said, and get ready and jump into this sack. What she's really talking about was the gown with the split down the back. They're coming to do some tests, she said. They're going to stretch you out on a rack with nothing twixt me and the cold, cruel world but a gown that's split down the back. (laughs) Comes only to the knees in front, in the sides there is no lack, but by far the greatest shortcoming is that blooming split down the back. (laughs) Whoever designed this garment for humor had no knack. But I fail to see anything funny about a gown that is split down the back. I hear them coming to get me. The wheels go clickety-clack. I'll ride through the halls on a table in a gown with a split down the back. When I get to heaven, I'll make me no odds if my robe is white, red, or black. The only thing I ask is, please, give me one with no split down the back. (laughs) You got it, you know, sickness and disease destroys your sense of well-being and can take all your dignity away in a very short time. You ought to be a pastor with the fear that the people you're going to meet are from your own church. (laughs) Most of them take really good care of you though, I need to tell you that. Well, perhaps today you're alarmed with some twinges in your chest or aches in your bones or persistent cough that won't go away. Maybe there's a speck of blood where it shouldn't be, or maybe you're past those initial symptoms and you're already diagnosed and you're battling a disease. The probable encounters with disease, we all have them. Let me give you some primary examples of disease. One of the things that we shouldn't be surprised at, but because we don't necessarily always read our Bibles the way we should, we are often surprised to discover how many of these current kinds of problems that we face are actually also faced in the people of the Bible. I told you early on that in the Bible there are over 200 people about whom it is said they were afraid. You wouldn't believe how many people in the Bible were actually sick. I went through the scriptures and I kind of made a little list of them and I'm going to read this real fast and you won't be able to write them all down, just maybe the names. But here's just a sampling of the people in the Bible who were sick. There's Paul and his thorn in the flesh and Job who we already met sitting in the ash heap and there's Lazarus in his terminal illness and the woman with the issue of blood and Naaman and the disease of leprosy and King David with the evil disease that clung to him, and King Asa with his diseased feet, and King Jehoram and his diseased intestines, and the people of Galilee who came to Christ with all kinds of disease, and Epaphroditus who was sick almost unto death, and Dorcas who fell sick and died, leaving behind a grieving community of disciples. I've never heard of a pastor preaching a series of sermons on the diseased people of the Bible, but if he should ever choose to do so, there would be no lack of material because the Bible has many, many stories and encounters of people who were sick. But the one biblical account that is the poster child for this message is a man by the name of Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah has often been the brunt of some jokes because some people say there's a book in the Bible and the book is called Hezekiah. When they want to tell you something and give it biblical credit, they'll say, it's in Hezekiah 2, 3. Well, let me tell you something. There is no such book as Hezekiah, but there is such a person. And he was one of the kings of Judah. In fact, he was one of the good kings, maybe one of the great kings of the Old Testament, who assumed the throne of Judah at the age of 25 and immediately began to set things back in order because the nation of Israel had regressed and had backslidden in second chronicles 29 3 through 5 tells us that hezekiah opened the doors of the house of the lord and repaired them and he brought in the priests and the levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them here levites sanctify yourselves sanctify the house of the lord god of your fathers now watch this and carry out the rubbish from the holy place The worship of God had so disintegrated that there was actually rubbish in the holy place of the temple. The next chapter says that the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart, to obey the command of their king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites and he taught good knowledge of the Lord. And in the following chapter in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, we read, then Hezekiah did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all of his heart and he prospered. And the next 10 or 15 years in Judah were among the happiest years in the history of Judah. But when Hezekiah turned 39, everything changed. It says in Isaiah 38, verse 1, that in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. That's like the oncologist coming out after the examination and saying to you, you got six months. Your disease is inoperable. It's terminal. There's no hope. That was the sentence that was given to Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah is an illustration of what people do when something like that happens. We've seen the probable encounters with disease, and we've looked at some primary examples. But now I want you to notice the painful emotions of disease in Hezekiah's response. What would you do when you first heard that? Well, you would do exactly what he did. If you're a Christian, he prayed. It says in Isaiah 38, one to three, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, And he turned his face toward the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And he wept bitterly. A whore swept over Hezekiah like a dark and biting wind. And he turned his face toward the wall, and he cried out to God for healing. His sick bed was soaked with sweat and tears as grief overwhelmed him. In fact, in Isaiah, we have the words of his prayer. I don't really think I ever saw this before or recognized it for what it was. It is a poetic description of his disease and his inner fears, and it's written in a classic way in medical psychology. I actually took these words and i found eugene peterson's paraphrase in the message these are the words of his prayer see if it doesn't sound like something you would pray perhaps updated to our language today here was his prayer in the very prime of life i have to leave whatever time i have left is spent in death's waiting room no more glimpses of god in the land of the living No more meetings with my neighbors, no more rubbing shoulders with my friends. This body I inhabit is taken down and packed away like a camper's tent. Like a weaver, I've rolled up the carpet of my life as God cuts me free of the loom. And that day's end sweeps up the scraps and the pieces. I cry for help until morning. Like a lion, God pumbles and pounds me, relentlessly finishing me off. I squawk like a doomed hen, moan like a dove, My eyes ache from looking up for help. Master, I am in trouble. Get me out of this. But what's the use? God himself gave me the word. He's done it to me. I can't sleep. I'm that upset. That's trouble. Now, I don't know if you've ever prayed anything like that, but if you've ever been seriously ill, you've prayed something like that. Lord, I still have so much I want to do. I still have so much life. I still have so many goals and visions. I still want to see my grandchildren grow up and get married. And we'd cry out to God with all the reasons why he should hear our prayer and allow us to have more life. Tears and prayers. That's always understandable in our response to disease, whether we're the one who's sick or the one who's caring for the ones who are sick. And though we can't predict how the Lord will answer, we do know, we do know that tears and prayers Are seen and heard by God when we cry and when we pray the prayer was the first emotion and then came the promise in Isaiah 38 4 we read and the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying go tell Hezekiah thus says the Lord the God of David your father I have seen your tears and surely I will add to your days 15 years Now this is kind of a conundrum in the Bible, if you will, because it seems to involve God in changing his mind. I mean, he had just said to Hezekiah, you're gonna die. But Hezekiah prayed, and God heard his prayer, and God listened, and in mercy, he gave him another 15 years. Someday in heaven, we'll figure out how that works. Maybe it's just the way we have to understand it from our perspective. But it does give us an encouragement, does it not, that prayer changes things? Not just us, but prayer changes things. Prayer changed things for Hezekiah when he prayed. And that ought to remind us that there's a lot that we can do, but there's nothing we can ever do that's more powerful or more important than to pray. Sometimes we say, well, I've tried everything else, and I guess all that's left is prayer and we demote prayer to the bottom of the list when it should be elevated to the top of the list. By the way, let's start with prayer. Let everything else descend from that. Hezekiah prayed, listen to me, and God heard him. And God answered his prayer and gave him 15 more years. Interesting, though, that God didn't just speak from heaven and say, Hezekiah, be healed. (laughs) He gave Hezekiah a prescription. you got to be kidding me. No, he did. Why would God do that? Can't he just heal by saying, be healed? Absolutely. But also we know that God often works through means. Listen to what he did to Naaman, how he used means in Naaman's healing, how he put mud on the eyes of the blind. And here's what he said to Isaiah, He said, Isaiah, you go and tell Hezekiah, this is your prescription. Isaiah 38, 21, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil and you shall recover. Now that's the first chemotherapy that I've ever read about in the Bible. These are called pharmaceutical figs. And this would certainly be an answer to those who have said, and you've probably heard them, and I have to. no, 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 you don't need anything but God, you don't need doctors, you don't need medicine, just trust God. In fact, they've actually, I've heard them say this, if you trust in a doctor or if you use medicine, it is because of your lack of faith that God does not heal that way, that God always heals without any means. The only problem with saying that is it's just not true. God can heal any way he wants. He can heal with a doctor or without one, by a prescription or without one. But in this case, God used a prescription to heal Hezekiah, and I just want to stop and say, I thank God for my doctors. From the human perspective, I would not be here apart from the two men I mentioned earlier in this message. Was God in that? Absolutely, and I thank God every day for his leading me to them, for his using them, for his giving them the wisdom and the knowledge and the education and the wherewithal to deal with the disease. And neither one of them that I'm aware of are believers. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're not. They're of a different faith. And it always reminds me that I should say to people, when you go to a doctor and you walk in the door, the first question you do not ask is, are you a Christian? You ask them, do you know anything about lymphoma? (laughs) I would rather have an unsafe doctor who's smart about lymphoma than a Christian who's dumb as an ox. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it's the truth, is it not? (laughs) Well, kind of a strange place for us to end that message, but at least to put a smile on our face. And uh, you all know that's the truth, isn't it? And we'll talk more about it tomorrow as we get together um, for the second half of The Fear of Serious Illness. I want you to know that there's a book that has a lot of this material in it, uh, chapters that mirror what I'm talking about on the radio. And we'd love to have this book in your hands, not only for you to read it and meditate on its truth— Make sure you have all the references that we've been giving uh, uh, on the radio. You'll have them all printed out there so you'll have the accurate ones. And if you missed one here or there, they'll all be there for you. It's also a book that when you're finished reading it, you'll want to share with somebody else because it does lift your spirit and help you during this uncertain time. And we'd love to send the book to you. It's a way we say thank you. It's yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And when you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. Thank you so much for your investment to help us do what we do around the world with the Word of God. See you next time. God bless you.
1: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, What Are You Afraid Of?, Please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine turning points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely and encouraging new book, Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. Stop letting fear hold you back. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, What Are You Afraid Of? Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com.
0: Someone has said, speaking from experience no doubt, that we should keep our words soft and sweet because we never know when we might have to eat them. Sounds like good advice to me, but the Bible's advice about our speech touches a different area of the palate than soft and sweet. Paul wrote that our speech should be seasoned with salt. Echoing Jesus' words that his followers are the salt of the earth, Paul wrote in Colossians that our speech should be salty meaning flavorful, interesting, and attractive, even speech that preserves life instead of destroying it. That sounds like good advice to me as well. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's wisdom for speaking on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.